Hey, welcome to the College Student Success Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping college students with mental health issues set and achieve goals for themselves to get them where they want to be. I'm your host, Derek Malinzak, and this is episode 12 of the podcast. This episode is entitled Mental Health Academic Accommodations for College Students Explained. So we are going to skip the Q&A this week because I have a great deal of information I want to talk about in today's episode. This is going to focus on uh, accommodations for people that have mental health issues, how the disability office works, and the real deal behind academic accommodations. I was thinking about it as I was typing up the show notes over the last couple of days, and I was like, you know, if I ever go on to become successful in this, and who knows, jury's out, but if, you know, I stick around for a couple of years and this thing, you know, gains some traction and I get some, you know, regular listeners, I suspect this might be one of the more downloaded episodes just because this information I find, you know, from working with college students was largely unknown, you know, and I would go over it with them and they'd be like, wow, really? I could get that shit for having a diagnosis? And I was like, yeah, you can take advantage, right? Um, you deal with so much of the negative shit that goes with having uh, a diagnosis, um, specifically mental health, I feel like, that you may as well take advantage when you can and get some help that other people might not be entitled to, nor should they be. And so take advantage of it. Um, even if you don't, even if you're not positive, you're going to need it. Uh, it's I think it's good to request it just in, in a backup case because uh, you don't know what's going to happen. It's nice to be prepared. Uh, and I feel like the more people that use the service, um, the more the more that the schools will eventually see the need to fund it more and expand it. So let's get into uh, the disability office and accommodations now. So story time. I have an example of a really shitty disability office. Uh, so just some background. A, disab- a disability office exists on, I would say, every college campus in the nation, just about. Uh, if you guys have a school that does not have a- an office for disability services, I would love for you to send it to me because I have yet to, to find one that doesn't. So what they do is they assist students with a wide variety of disabilities. It's not just related to uh, mental health. You know, people with physical health disabilities go there, learning disabilities and mental health disabilities. So what they do there typically is you will register, and I'm going to talk about the registration process by sort of proving that you have a diagnosis, and then you're eligible for services from them. And a lot of times the disability service is often uh, housed or you know, run under the same umbrella or sort of linked somehow to the school's counseling services department, if they have one, most do. And so this is actually, I guess, uh, a counseling service <laughs> horror, horror story. Um, these services vary widely across schools, and some have really awesome programs and some have shit programs. So I was working with this individual a few years ago, that uh, was going through a rough time and uh, didn't have access to, um, you know, decent insurance, but they were a full-time student. And so I was like, you know, you could take advantage of the, um, you know, the mental health services available on your school's campus. I don't want to name the school um, because it is a horror story and I don't need any backlash. It's not really important what school it is. I will say it's not my school. 
it's not Rutgers. So I told them about it and I said, you know, it's probably going to be more like short term help, but you may want to check it out. And this person had had a long standing belief that they did not want to be on medication. And, you know, as psych rehab practitioners, we totally respect that. Uh, if we feel like, you know, they could benefit, we definitely educate when we can. But in the end, we respect that person's right. And I guess, you know, the rest of the field, um, you know, mental health field isn't maybe quite there. So this person went down to the office and requested to get counseling. And it turned out, I guess, they had, uh, she had been there back in the past. And, you know, they were, she was sort of known in the office. And the um, people came, the director came and said, you know, I will provide you, you know, therapy, but only if you start taking medication. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so, so she was like, yeah, I had been there and, and gotten some services for a time. And they had recommended that I, I take meds. And I, I don't even remember. I, she may have seen the, the psychiatrist there and even gotten a script. Uh, I think that actually may have happened, but it turned out that, uh, you know, she didn't made the decision not to take the meds and they would not see her. They wouldn't give her therapy, um, because of that. And, and basically held it over her head. Like you can come back and get therapy, but only if you're, if you start taking the meds. So I just want to put it out there to you guys. That is not how mental health services in college campuses should work. And if you experience that, um, you should you should fight it because that is that is just um, such an awful thing to have to uh, to navigate through. I say this example to say like how critically um, underwhelming some of the disability services are on college campuses. And so I'm not promising any miracles with this episode, but I can tell you what is what should be expected when you go and visit a disability office. And then I'll talk about different accommodations that you can request and what accommodations are. So here is kind of how the process works. So uh, basically you have to have a mental illness in order to register with the disability office. Once you do register, it's sort of on record, you know, and it, so in a sense, this is a, a pretty big decision before you even go into that office to decide, you know, do I want to disclose that I have a, a mental illness? Now, your teachers are not going to find out, or they should not. You know, I can't guarantee it. Uh, I don't work in, in any kind of disability office, but I'll tell you the process and how it should go and how it is supposed to guarantee you that you do not um, have your dis, uh, diagnosis disclosed or even the nature of your disability. So disclosure takes a lot of thought, you know, to say, do I want to, you know, even though I will be, you know, it will be confidential, it, the, the professor will know that you're registered there. They won't know why. Um, you could be singled out if you were to request things like um, separate testing room, you know, if, you, if you're really highly distracted and you wanted to get, uh, te you know, take an exam in a different room that was quiet, you, the, you know, the teacher may conceivably say, you know, oh, so-and-so, you know, why aren't, you're going to be taking your test over here. And even if they didn't say why, it would still kind of draw attention. So these are just things to be prepared for if that's uh, the nature of what you're, what you're thinking about requesting or, you know, just that they're not going to say what you have or even that it's a mental illness. The teacher isn't going to know that, but 
the actions of what you request might just basically make you stand out just a little bit um, because you'll be you know treated slightly differently. All right, so if you decide that, okay, I'm, I'm cool with this, uh, you would go and look up where the disability office is located in your school. Uh, I'm sure every office, you know, campus uh, university website has would have a link. Hopefully they do. Online schools should have a disability office as well, and that should be, again, available online. So you'd go there, you'd go to the website, um, or you'd go to the office, and basically you need to get a form that they're going to use to document your disability, the diagnosis. So you might, you know, get the form at the office, pick it up. Uh, you might be able to download it from the website. There may be different forms for documenting different types of disabilities. So there's not going to be like a form for depression, a form for schizophrenia, a form for bipolar, but there might be a form for mental health diagnoses, a form for physical health, maybe one for learning disabilities. So that's something you just might need to be aware of is making sure you get the right form. You would go then take that form, go get it filled out by your doctor, and then have it returned to the disability office. You either bring it back, something that they've signed saying, you know, this person, let's give them, let's give them a, a depression diagnosis. So this person, uh, we'll call them Tom. Tom has depression. Tom is like, maybe I could benefit from the disability office. So he goes down there. He walks in. He says, hi, I want to register. I'm interested in, in registering. And they give him a form. Tom, next time he sees his therapist or a psychiatrist, gets the form filled out. And the form basically says, Tom has major depressive disorder. You know, here is his, uh, his official diagnosis. It's usually a code or a number. And here's my signature and my contact info. And Tom then takes that form and brings it back to the disability office, or maybe the doctor is nice enough to fax it over or send it in some way over to the office himself. Tom somehow then confirms, yes, you have received the document. And if all goes well and the diagnosis is sound, you're now registered with the office. So what does this mean? Well, now you're eligible for uh, to receive services from the Disability Services Office. That could mean a variety of things, but the thing it typically means is that you're eligible for uh, to request accommodations that you might need. So let's talk about accommodations. So what is an accommodation? An accommodation is sort of um, a special type of um, permission uh, allocation that basically removes barriers to participation. So if you think about a uh, physical health disability, sometimes the easiest to conceptualize back in the day, and this is sort of where um, these accommodation process came from, you'd have um, an old building and a person in a wheelchair. And the person in the wheelchair wants to take a class in this old building. Old building, limited access for wheelchairs, um, maybe they don't have an elevator in the building, and it's a state school, let's say. But even if it's a uh, private school, we'll talk about that later, um, they, would, they would have to do this too. But this is like, you know, kind of where the origin came from. So the person with a wheelchair is like, I want to take this class, and it's on the second floor. Um, what can you do for me? And maybe in the beginning they were like, uh, sorry, we were shit out of luck, dude. But it, eventually when, you know, uh, civil rights and disability rights became... Um, protected, um, 
schools were no longer allowed to do that. So they had to accommodate this person. So a person in a wheelchair had to be accommodated. How would the school do that? Oh, they could do it in a number of ways. They could, uh, they could put an elevator in the building. That would be an expensive way to do it. Uh, they could move the class to the first floor or some sort of accessible building. They could offer the person one-on-one instruction in the, in the class, you know, in, an, in a wheelchair accessible area. They could do a number of things. But basically, they have to provide an, an equal level of um, education to that person and accommodate them as best they can. Um, or not so they, they have to accommodate them. It's really not an as best they can. They have to do it. It's federal law. It's protected. So if you think about that from physical health, you then think about how it might apply. Eventually, people with you know learning disabilities and then mental health disabilities won the right to receive uh, requests and receive accommodations as well. So accommodation typical might be for a student uh, who struggles with depression, maybe they... Um, Maybe as a result of having their medication, you know, for their depression, they get really um, distracted or they have difficulty paying attention or they have um, fatigue. They get really tired. They might be able to get an accommodation like extra time for an exam. So if the class is, uh, you know, has a one hour to take an exam, you would have a little bit longer. Typically, it's time and a half. So you'd have that hour plus half of that. So you'd have an hour and a half. And that, a lot of students find that really helpful. Um, so that is actually the most frequently granted um, accommodation. But let me get back to accommodations in general. So once you are registered with the office, you would then uh, say right before the semester starts or right around that time, go in and say, you know, I want to make uh, want to request accommodations some schools make you do it once a year and they will carry over for you know if you do it in the fall they'll carry over to the spring semester and then the the summer uh, some make you do it every semester or at least check in with them every semester and uh, sort of update them don't wait until the semester is almost over because you just realize you need an accommodation for something like your final many schools will make you do the request uh, prior to the school semester starting or right as it starts uh, you must request your accommodations per class. So you can't say, I need, you know, to take that example, Tom needs time and a half for his depression. And he he can't just say, I need time and a half, you know, for everything. He would have to actually make the request, I need time and a half for this class, for this class, for this class, for this class. The reason being is um, he's going to have to state why he needs it and possibly get documentation from his doctor confirming this like oh tom struggles with following along or or the side effects from his um, antidepressant medication cause extreme fatigue and as a result he needs extra time because he has got to fight through the exam i don't know it could be any number of things you know if, if a doctor says it pretty much it's it's legit and signs his name off on it um the disability office isn't going to tell you what you should request. So when you go in there and you're like, what can I get? They're not going to be like, oh, yeah, you know, I guess a helpful one might do it. But most uh, offices are going to say, no, what do you need? And it's up to you to kind of know what to ask. And how do you do that? I don't know. Hopefully you listen to this podcast. That's one way. Um, you could do research on your own online. And the way that I would often recommend it to people 
I don't know how realistic this is or not, is to talk to their doctor and see what their doctor says. Some doctors will be really on point and kind of understand the, the um, relationship between symptoms and executive, what we call executive functioning struggles. So things like uh, trouble with concentration, attention, problem solving and whatnot, and would be able to kind of make the distinction to say, okay, so if you're struggling in this for this particular class, here's something that will, again, if we take uh, the definition, here's something that will remove the barrier to for you to participate. Um, they can't, they have to keep the essential functions of the course in line. So for example, if let's say the person has a math class and you really struggle in math, uh, and so you ask for a personal tutor, all right? You still have to demonstrate the essential functions of the class. This is different from executive functions, which I talked about earlier. Essential functions are like, what do you need in order to prove you uh, know the material? So with math, you would have to be able to you know, solve math problems, right? So you can't request an accommodation that removes that barrier. It's like, oh, I'm going to get somebody to solve the problems for me <laughs> because that's just that's cheating. <laughs> um, you, you really aren't learning anything. So you still have to do what they call, again, the essential functions of that class. In math, is, is sort of the easiest. So, um, you know, for that reason, you can't, you have to think about what's going to help you, but you also have to think about what you still have to demonstrate to the teacher in order to say, yeah, I've mastered this course. Um, okay, you might need professional justification, as I said, from your doctor or somewhere, basically stating why you need that accommodation. Most schools I haven't run into that happening, but I think that's because most students only request a select few accommodations. I don't think students in general or practitioners or doctors are probably very creative when they think about what to ask for. And the fact of the matter is they can be creative depending on the school. Uh, schools will be, will, you know, will work with you. So what should you ask for? Um, as I said earlier, the most frequently granted accommodation is for, or at least for mental health issues, is extra time for exams. You know, and as I said, it's typically time and a half. I have seen double time for somebody that really struggles, you know, with cognition or something of the like. Um, extra time can be done for quizzes, exams, and then you could also get extra time for assignments. So if you have like a paper due, you might be able to get, you know, a one-week extension. That's a slippery slope. You know, that I don't, I've seen that a few times, but most of the students I've talked to about that particular accommodation have realized the trap is like, if I struggle with, say, procrastination or you know, let's say, you know, I have anxiety and, you know, the anxiety is such that I re it makes me wait until the last minute to do something that I need to for school. And you go in with and request that accommodation and you get it. Now you're just sort of delaying the inevitable, right? It's like, oh, I still have to get it done. You know, what might, might it just be easier just to get it done at the same time as everyone else? Um, so be wary of that one. Um, another big one that I see requested often and granted is distraction-free test environment. I mentioned that. That's one to be wary of in terms of your your instructor might 
in a sense, single you out and say, oh, you, and maybe there's a few of you, um, you'll be taking your, your test here, and everybody else is taking their test there. Now, hopefully, teachers can do this with some subtlety and tact, but I know that not all are capable of that, so just um, be mindful of that when you do ask that, but I know a lot of people that benefit, especially people with anxiety um, that can get time and a half as well. You know, you pair time and a half with the distraction free and it's it becomes a pretty powerful accommodation so other ones you might be interested in some sort of note-taking service so you can get you know copies of notes you could get advanced uh, notification of um, you know advanced I'm sorry what is it access to the syllabus I guess is what it would be um, knowledge about exams and assignments prior to the class getting them um, private feedback from your instructor, you know, the list goes on and on. If you think back to psychiatric rehabilitation, what I talked about, we'll do individualized treatments and supports, and this is really in line with that, is like whatever the person needs within reason, you know, still that the person can demonstrate the essential functions of the course, um, offices should try and accommodate them as best they can. Now, they don't always. And there, if you have a problem, you know, I suggest you do, you know, advocate. Not everyone, you know, feels empowered to do so. Um, but if you have a problem and you are not able to get it solved at the school-wide level, you, there is an option to go to the federal level. Since I said uh, anti-discrimination rules like uh, such as these are federally protected rights. So if you're having a problem with the disability office and you, you, I would say try and resolve it at the school level. Like even don't just say, oh, you know, I can't, I'm not, I can't deal with this worker. I'm going straight to the DOE, who's who I'm going to recommend. But, you know, it's asked to speak to that person's supervisor and, you know, take it up the chain of command. But if you are, you know, just stuck with a roadblock and you really feel like your rights are being infringed upon, um, contact the Department of Education's Office for Civil Rights. And I have a link to their uh, webpage in the show notes for today. So I also have a link to a comprehensive guide from Washington University that includes a, a much more exhaustive list of possible accommodations that you might consider requesting. As I said, the, the school isn't going to uh, make suggestions for you. And if they do, it's going to be like, oh, you should request time and a half or you should request the distraction-free environment because that's what everybody requests and that's the only thing that they know. You know, schools run the gambit on these offices. So I've met some really awesome disability counselors that really go above and beyond, especially for people with mental health issues. And then I've, as I said with my first one, I've met some horrific uh, disability slash counseling services people that um, believe that their office is mainly for people with physical health disabilities because that's what they understand. And, you know, just it's fear of the unknown, I guess. I don't know. So one last thing I wanted to talk about is for online students specifically, uh, a lot of the accommodations that I just spoke about are sort of more geared towards the traditional classroom. So that I can talk to you about some more like that would be specific to that. So sometimes you can get, especially this would be helpful in a large lecture hall, preferential seating. So the person needs to sit up front. Um, you know, somebody with a visual impairment, this would be a important consideration. And if a teacher had some sort of wacky seating, assigned seating system, and could not guarantee that you would sit up front, you could get that. Um, you could get um, 
use of a tape recorder, you know, the ability to tape record uh, lectures, even if your professor says, oh, you're not allowed to tape my lectures. Those are my intellectual property. Oh, I hate teachers like that. Um, you can get an accommodation for a lab class where you normally food and drink is not uh, permitted. You could get access to beverages if you have a side effect from your medication that causes dry mouth. You know, um, you know the list goes on and on. But those, if you notice, like the, the thing that those have in common is they're really they would not apply to an online classroom when you're sitting in your pajamas, um, taking your course uh, in your you know dining room, kitchen, where you can have a drink. You know, you can oftentimes pause the course and come back to it after you eat, etc. So there are a couple, you know, the time and a half one would hold true. And that is fairly easy to do with most learning management systems. So if you take an online course, you're going to have, a, you know, some place you log into, and that's the learning management system. It's pretty easy for instructors these days to set up exams and allow certain people that have uh, an accommodation to take a little more time in the case of time and a half. Um, but again, distraction-free test environment is going to be up to you. You know, that's not really going to be a, an accommodation that works in an online course. So just keep that in mind. Um, so that is our episode for today. This is, you know, right in my wheelhouse. This is a shit I would talk about with students all the time in um, previous jobs. So uh, if anyone has any personal questions that they want to ask, feel free to send me an email, collegestudentsuccesspodcast at gmail.com. Uh, hopefully you guys are thinking about uh, some of the material we talked about from Monday when we discussed mentorship and what the fuck a mentor is and how do I get one. Found hope people got some value out of that and are thinking about ways or people that they can um, identify as mentors or you know, just ways that they might go about looking for people that could possibly mentor them in the areas of their lives that they're passionate about. Anyway, best of luck to everybody this weekend as they uh, really get underway. I know a lot of assignments are starting to kick in, like bigger projects and things are going to start coming due soon. End of week five. Look forward to seeing you guys on Monday. Peace.